We're going to be looking at a number of different passages. I'm going to have them all up on the screen for us. We're going to kind of be anchored, though, on Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, which most of you are familiar with this story. This is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Now, depending who you ask and what Bible scholar or teacher you talk to, you're going to have different interpretations of this story. Uh, Jesus told this story. Some would view it as a parable. Uh, I would be one that would not view it as a parable, but as an actual story, because it doesn't have the same characteristics of a parable. Uh, But regardless of whether you view it as a parable, as a teaching story to convey truth, or as a true story, the truths remain Within it, so we're going to go ahead and take a look here at Luke sixteen nineteen through thirty one. Uh, look what Jesus teaches us here about hell, and then we'll continue on. Before we get to that, though, uh, we want to talk about the cross of Christ and the centrality of the cross in relation to everything that we're going to talk about today. And this will become more clear as we get into uh, the further parts of the message. Um, But as you are no doubt aware, the cross of Christ is central for everything that we do. Everyone in the Old Testament looked towards the cross of Christ. We all look back towards the cross of Christ. And everything that Jesus did when he died on the cross and when he rose again had huge repercussions for everything we do, for everything we believe. And in terms of what we're talking about today, there was a big difference as to what happened prior to Jesus' death on the cross and what happened after his death and resurrection on the cross. And we'll get into that here shortly. So let's start with some uh, distinction of terms here. Uh, First off is the the word Sheol or Hades. Uh, You've probably heard these words many times. They refer to the same thing. Sheol is a Hebrew word. Hades is a Greek word. Uh, They are both referring to the general abode of the dead, or where everybody went when they died. And so you'll see this, depending on what your translation is, the ESV, anyway, you'll see the word Sheol many, many times in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated as the grave, just in a general sense. But this is beyond just what happens with your physical body. Uh, This is referring to where do you go? Where does your spirit go uh, upon death? And so the word Sheol or Hades... Uh, is used there. Hades is mentioned in the New Testament. We'll discuss that more here in just a minute. So let's get into the story now. Uh, Luke 16, 19-31 of the rich man and Lazarus. I'm just going to go ahead and read this whole thing here. I'll have the words up on the screen so we can really have an understanding of this. So there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate there was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, 
in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So this is probably the, the, the longest and the clearest description of the afterlife that we see in Jesus' teaching. He talked a lot about hell. He talked about heaven. But this is probably the clearest teaching that he gives us here. So what can we take away from this? Just a few key points here. That's not what I wanted next. Let me back up. We'll get there. Okay. Well, anyway, a few th- key things here. This technology, by the way, it's getting me. <laughs> I do not ever usually speak or preach with this kind of stuff, so this is really throwing me off. Okay, well, one thing is that it is universal. All people went to Hades or to Sheol in Old Testament times. Now, they didn't all go to suffer, but we see in this passage there was the two compartments separated by the great chasm. And there was that where Abraham and Lazarus was, uh, which is often referred to as paradise. And there is that which the rich man and other unbelievers were, which we would sometimes use the word Hades or hell or whatever, and we'll explain the distinction of terms there. But the bad side, we could say one was a place of torment, the other was a place of comfort. And so, as the rich man was in the place of torment, uh, Lazarus was in the place of comfort. And this really had nothing to do with they were rich and they were poor, this had to do with what they believe. And so again, rather you take this as a parable or as a real story, uh, Jesus was teaching key truths about this, whether this was a true story or not. He wouldn't just make up all this stuff to, uh, to have a point. So why were they in these separate places? What all had to do with whether they accepted Jesus or not. So that, that's always been the standard. Again, we look back to what Jesus did for us on the cross. In the Old Testament, they would look forward to the Messiah that would save them from their sins. And you see evidence of that throughout the Old Testament with the sacrificial system, Uh, The understanding that the payment for their sin was temporary, it only covered over the sin, and they had to repeat that process. But there was that hope that one was coming that would wash away their sins permanently, and that was the person of Jesus. Okay, the question remains then is why did people go here to paradise and not directly to heaven? Because Jesus temporally had not yet paid the price for their sins on the cross and rose again. And we'll talk more about that next week when we look at heaven. Uh, Today, when we die, as believers, we go directly to heaven. In the Old Testament, they went to this place of waiting there. And we see all the Old Testament saints are presumed to be there. They talk about going there. In this story, we see that Abraham was there. So this wasn't a lesser place. This wasn't a purgatory or something like that. This was the the place that everyone went to uh, for a season until... Christ died and rose again, and the believers no longer went there. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Another thing that we know about this is that this place was temporary. This is a temporary place. So both compartments are temporary. So eventually the people that were in paradise went to heaven. If we would die today, we go to heaven. Those that are in Hades, though, today, uh, from all the way back to the Old Testament times till all the way in the future, that is also temporary. And we see that. Uh, from this passage here in Revelation 20. 
And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. So notice the word Hades there is significant. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So Hades itself is emptied out at the time of judgment. Those inhabitants of Hades are judged, and they are set into the lake of fire along with Hades itself is thrown into the lake of fire. <clears throat> All right. So a good analogy for this, I guess, or an analogy that I often uh, use anyway, whether it's good or not, you can be the judge of that, is Hades is often, I often think of that as uh, like county jail. You are awaiting sentencing, but you cannot get bail. So you are sent to county jail and you sit there and the great white throne judgment in the future when Hades is emptied out and those people are all sentenced to eternity in the lake of fire, that would be as if you had a life sentence in state prison. So they're both bad. They're both very similar. You're, you're, in, you're behind bars. You get out, you're judged, and you're sent to a place where you're also behind bars. It's similar in that sense. You're sent to Hades as a non-believer. Uh, there you stay until the judgment where you are released and then immediately sent to the lake of fire permanently forever. So if that distinction helps. All right, so that brings us to our next point, uh, the second term here, the lake of fire, or Gehenna, or hell. And these are all synonyms of the same place. And this is referring to that permanent, final resting place of those who do not accept Christ, as well as Satan and the demons. And so most Bibles do not have the word Gehenna in it, uh, but every Bible is going to have the lake of fire and the word hell. Now, we, when we talk about hell... Uh, we, we often are thinking of the, that permanent resting place. But just to, and I know this seems like splitting hairs here, but just to make sure we have an understanding of these terms, typically when Jesus was teaching about hell and used the word hell, he's referring to that lake of fire, that permanent place where you are suffering as an unbeliever forever and ever. So what do we know about this place? Well, we see in Revelation twenty fifteen, which we just looked at, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so this book of life is that, that record of every believer uh, that has ever existed, ever will exist. God has put our names into that book of life. And at the time of judgment, that book of life is open. If your name is not in the book of life, you are thrown into the lake of fire. And so this is the final resting place of all that is evil. Uh, believer, or non-believers, uh, Satan, demons, Hades, death, all these things are put into the lake of fire. And we know from Scripture, anytime anything goes into the lake of fire, it does not come out, ever. So it is a permanent place. Um, we know also that currently the lake of fire is empty because we see the first inhabitants here, Revelation 19, verse 20. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who were in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So the first two inhabitants of the lake of fire are the beast and the false prophets, or the Antichrist. Or, and I know we're, we're quoting a lot of Revelation here. I don't want to go into a bunch of end times things. We all have different views on that. 
uh, but just focusing in on the lake of fire here. So the first two inhabitants are, are uh, the beast and the false prophet. And as I alluded to before, this is very permanent. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And we don't like to think about that fact, the, the, the permanence of the lake of fire, the permanence of hell. Uh, but nonetheless, it is, it is stated many times in Scripture that this is not just a temporary thing, but this is a permanent. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. I want to talk about one other uh, set of words that are often associated with hell, and just to clarify that as well. And these are the abyss, or the bottomless pit, or very few Bibles have this word, but Tataris is in there sometimes. It's usually translated the pit in most Bibles, but I did find it in some. Uh, this is not referring to Hades. This is not referring to hell. Uh, this is something altogether different. And we have a few scripture references that talk about this place. This seems to be a place of confinement, of temporary confinement for certain demons. Why, we don't know. It doesn't say. And eventually for Satan. Um, so some sort of a demonic prison, for lack of a better term. And we see some evidence of that here. Luke 8.31, this is when Jesus was casting out the demons from that man and was about to send them into the pigs, if you remember that story. And this is the demons here. They begged him, Jesus, not to command them to depart into the abyss. They didn't want to go there. And so we also see some other scripture on this. Revelation 9.2 says, He, this is an angel, opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And again, in, in that story, um, that's where all these demonic creatures spew forth as part of the judgments in Revelation. And also Revelation 20, verse 1, referring to Satan here. Uh, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. So that is uh, where they imprisoned Satan for the thousand years. And again, I know everyone has different takes on that. But as far as we can tell from Scripture, it seems pretty clear that the abyss, the bottomless pit, Tartarus, whatever word you want to use there, are a place that are reserved solely for, I don't know if it's very bad demons or what the case is, but demons and Satan as a place of confinement. So they are not allowed, while they are in there anyway, to roam about the earth. So those are separate terms that do not relate to Hades or Sheol, the place where unbelievers still to this day would go and would suffer until the time of the final judgment, and, and also not to the lake of fire, Gehenna, or hell, which is that permanent place, that second death, where eventually all unbelievers will go. So let's talk about some things that hell is not. We have a lot of crazy ideas about hell. The world has crazier ones. You look at the far side, it's just, that's a great comic, bad theology, but a great comic. And I know it's all tongue-in-cheek, but they have interesting depictions of hell in the far side. There's a lot of different illustrations there. Uh, but the world has weird ideas. So let's look at what hell is not based on uh, what scripture tells us here. We know that hell is not a place of torture. The Bible tells us it is a place of torment. Now that might seem like a subtle difference, but that's key. Torture refers to external uh, stimuli that is hurting you or affecting you. Torment is internally. So when we say that hell is not a place of torture, 
we have to understand that in hell, there are not demons or Satan that's poking you with sticks or swords or torturing you in some way. Uh, That's not what hell is. Hell is a place of torment. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, But I remember one time previewing this book about some guy or gal, I don't remember who it was now, they went to hell and they came back and wrote a book about it. That's less popular than those that wrote a book about going to heaven and coming back. But there's, there's both genres out there, believe it or not. This was incredibly bizarre, but one of the things that, that stood out to me in it, um, it was full of, of scriptural inconsistencies, but it was described as this place of torture, all these bizarre tortures and these weird demons torturing this person in different bizarre ways. But in every description of hell that we see in, in the Bible, there is absolutely no mention of any kind of a torture in that way. So we have to understand that right off the bat. This is especially popular, this next one, with unbelievers. And it's often, well, it's a place where I can meet my friends. We're all going there. We'll, we'll hang out there together. And again, oftentimes that's said less seriously. Uh, but it's viewed as, well, if all my friends are going there, then that's where I want to go. But again, as we see what hell really is, you're not hanging out with your friends. You're not doing anything fun. It's that idea of aloneness forever, complete and total isolation. Another big misconception, hell is not a place where Satan rules, where he's sitting on some throne made out of human skulls, and he's ruling over everybody and telling them what to do and where to go and why to do it. Uh, That is a very popular misconception, but Satan will be tormented in hell, just as the demons will be tormented in hell, just as the humans who are do not accept Christ, will be tormented in hell. He will be there as an inmate. Satan is not in hell now. Uh, He does not want to go to hell, but he will one day go there and he will suffer and pay the price for his sin and rebellion against God as well. But I don't know how that idea got stuck in the head because Satan's evil and hell is bad, so therefore Satan rules over hell. You know, the Bible tells us that Satan prowls around seeking whom he may devour. It also says in Revelation that Satan is often before the throne of God, accusing us before God, and Christ acts as our advocate on our behalf. So Satan is not in hell. He's not ruling over hell. He doesn't want to go to hell. But he's got to know that that is what awaits him. Next thing is that hell is not temporary. We talked about that. In this case, I'm referring to hell as in the lake of fire hell, the final place. The reason I bring that up is is there's popular ideas today uh, even within Christianity, that speak to this idea that hell is just is temporary. Uh, all the cults teach some idea that hell is temporary, at least for most people. Um, but what I want to focus on here is two false ideas. One is universalism. This is the idea that nobody goes to hell. Everybody eventually gets to heaven, and everybody's happy, and that's great. But that is just, no, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Um, I had a friend, a good friend growing up, and uh, we we were, I assumed he was a Christian, and we were really close, and I I was all the way back to junior high, all the way through college, we were good friends. But he began to drift a bit from Christianity, and and one time we had a a long talk about why, what happened. He came from a, a good Christian family, he seemed to be really solid, but he was stuck on this idea of hell. He didn't like it, and he chose not to believe it. Uh, But we don't have that option. And in fact, what's sad is a lot of the cults got started by people saying, I don't like this idea of hell. And so they threw out the idea of hell and then threw out any other ideas they didn't like, 
and just ran with that. I don't like the idea of hell. Nobody likes the idea of hell, but yet it is a reality that we have to accept. And so the idea that everyone eventually gets to heaven one day is just simply untrue. The other one on this is conditionalism, is that people serve their time in hell and then they are just snuffed out of existence. They just don't exist anymore at all. And again, from a human perspective, that sounds better than suffering eternity in hell. But it's just not the case. We saw in the passage that talked about the beast and the false prophet in the lake of fire, they were still consciously there as Satan was thrown in a thousand years later. And however you view it, it was in the future, and it referred to them being there forever and ever. There is no end uh, to that situation. All right, the next thing, this is somewhat controversial, but go with me on this. I think you'll understand where I'm coming from here. The next is that hell is not involuntary. We think of people being thrown into hell, and they say, no, no, I don't want to go to hell. No, I want to go to heaven. But we have to go back to a a proper understanding of salvation, is that Christ uh, and God offers salvation freely to all people, but all people don't accept it, obviously. And unbelievers do not accept Christ. They do not want anything to do with Christ in this life or the next. And so would it be heaven for someone who has rejected Christ and said, no, I don't want to have anything to do with you, to spend an eternity in heaven with the one they sought their entire life on earth here to avoid? No. And so hell is, and we'll we'll look at the description here, hell is basically giving those people what they deserve. Or what they're asking for. Well, it's also what they deserve. But what they're asking for. And so people are saying, I don't want you, God. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be around you. And so God says, okay, here you go. This is reality without me. This is reality without me. Alone, dark, nothing, forever. And so while most people, to be fair, would not want that either, but what they are saying is, I don't want Christ. I don't want to be with him. I don't want to have anything to do with him. And so Jesus says, okay, then here you go. This is life without me. And let's take a look at that. So hell is a place of, and how the Bible describes it, a place of fire. And you have that idea of fire and heat. And you see this, uh, this verse here in Mark, where Jesus says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And in this passage where he's teaching, he says this phrase three times. That idea that it is a continual thing that's ongoing. And, and that word Gehenna we looked at earlier, uh, most scholars think that refers to this, this pit, this valley of Hinnom near Jerusalem that was this perpetually burning dump. And the Jews would throw their trash and throw different things there and continually keep it burning so the smell wouldn't be there. And so for the Jewish mind, this idea of this place that was gross, that was disgusting, and the fire was not quenched, it went on and on forever and ever and ever. And so we know that from Scripture, quite obviously, that hell is a place of fire. We also know it is a place of torment, which we talked before, it is not a place of torture, but of torment, where you are left there alone with your thoughts forever. So we see that in the story we just looked at. The rich man, and in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. No mention in this story of anyone torturing him or hurting him or doing anything to him. It is his own regrets and his own uh, inner thoughts of how he lived his life and what he did and didn't do that is tormenting him in hell. 
<clears throat> we also see that hell is a place of darkness. Darkness. And, and, and of all the themes that stuck out to me the most, this was the one that, that really stuck with me, is this place of darkness. And yet I realized we just said it is a place of fire as well. How does that reconcile? I don't know, but it does. <laughs> so that, that, that's not an oversight on my part. Uh, but it is a place of darkness. And so we, there's many passages and that didn't, oh, because these are related. It's also a place of weeping, gnashing of teeth. Let's look at this verse first. Jesus here says, well, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you think about that, this is the idea of here you have a walled city or you have some sort of a, a fortress or even a house and it is dark outside and outside there's all sorts of things and they are shutting the gate, they are shutting the door and you are left alone outside in the dark. Everything else is inside and you are outside. But and, and notice these terms are the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. This is not from, again, being hurt or tortured in some way. Uh, but that word weeping is just intense sorrow. The, the idea of regret and of sadness and the gnashing of teeth of, oh, you know, why did I do this? Why did I not make this decision? Why? And it could also be, too, the gnashing of teeth of intense anger at God. Anger at having put you there. Anger at, you know, whatever. So, but that, again, there's that idea there as well. Uh, the next is, uh, it is a place of anguish and regret. So again, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, he says, For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. He's saying, I don't, I don't want them to come here. I'm in anguish. I, I regret that I did not tell them. I did not say this. And, you know, and these are Jewish people from the context of the story here. They would have been familiar with what was necessary, the familiar with the truth. If this rich man rejected that for whatever reason, and now he, he is in regret and anguish over his brothers that are not there with him. Okay, hell is away from God's presence. Now let me clarify this here. Uh, the Bible tells us quite clearly there's nowhere we can go to be completely aware of God's presence. We see that in Psalm 139 quite clearly. But there appear to be levels, so to speak, of God's presence. If you were in heaven now, in the midst of God's glory, and you could see his face, that's pretty much as good as it gets. You're at the, the top there. You are truly in the fullness of God's presence. Uh, we can experience God's presence here on earth, and all of us do. Believers, we experience it more. When we pray, when we read the Word, we can experience and understand God's presence. But even unbelievers experience God's presence to a degree, whether they realize it or not, here on this earth. And so when we're talking about hell, they are away from God's presence in the sense that because God is omnipresent, He is there as well, but yet it is as far removed from God as you can possibly be. You will not feel His presence. He will not answer your prayers. There will be no evidence of Him in your life at all in hell. And that is a scary thing. And we don't know what that's like. Because even a non-believer wouldn't understand that depth of loss from not feeling God's presence in their life. We also see that hell is a place that is prepared, originally at least, for Satan and the demons. So we see that in Matthew 25 here it says, 
He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so there's that, that passage or that uh, line there at the beginning, Depart from me. So away from me, away from my presence, go away, never to see or hear from God ever again. And then in, and into that fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, the, the ones that were the, the most bad, the ones that rebelled and rejected God most heinously, that's where you're going to. You are not coming with me. You are departing from my presence into that place. The part that we have the most trouble with oftentimes is that it is eternal and conscious. This is not a place that uh, it doesn't end. You know, even we, we think about those that are in, in difficult situations or even back to the analogy of prisoners, someone that has a life sentence in prison, eventually there is an end. They die and, and it's done. But with hell, there is no end. It goes on forever and ever. Uh, and it is a conscious place of torment. So it is not anything where they are snuffed out, like we said, or eventually they, they, they do their, their time and then they're allowed to come to heaven as some of the, the cults would teach. That's just not the case. And again, we go back to this verse we looked at earlier. The devil was thrown to the lake of fire and sulfur. The beast and the false prophet, they're still there. And, and the tenses of the words are important. Uh, they're still there. They're still being tormented day and night forever and ever. This is not a great thought to think about. This is not something that is pleasant at all because all of us know someone or will know someone that will have rejected Christ and will end up in hell. And this is not a a comforting thought at all. But yet this is the reality and the truth of Scripture. And this is something that Jesus taught and impressed upon the people quite frequently uh, that this this is real. This This is something that if you reject me, this is what awaits you. The last description of hell is an interesting one. Uh, but hell is like a wandering star. And this is found in the book of Jude, verse 13. And Jude is talking about uh, these false prophets or false teachers that are leading people astray. He describes them as wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And I think the more we understand about astronomy, the more poignant this illustration really is. To, to think about the vastness of space, and then you have these stars out there, but separated from each other by billions or trillions of miles, and they're out there all alone. So we look at the stars and we think, oh yeah, they're all right next to each other. And, and from our perspective, it seems that way, but we know the reality is that they're all far apart from each other, far separated from each other, and that's this description of hell that is really, really poignant there. That they are in utter darkness forever, just like the wandering star out by itself in the vastness of space, forever. Sad. <clears throat> Let's talk application here for a minute. What's the purpose of all this? I don't mean for this just to be a lecture or teaching about hell. There needs to be some practical side of this for us and so there's a couple things there's a lot of things we could take away from this but a couple things i want to leave us with here today one is we have got to understand that hell is real and it's as real as heaven is if we believe in the reality of heaven and that we will go one day to heaven to be with god forever we have to understand also the reality of hell 
as well, that it is just as real. And that if, if God is infinite and eternal and we have sinned against him, then a price must be paid. And if we reject the price that Jesus paid for us, then we must pay that price ourselves. And that is an eternity in hell. And again, this is an uncomfortable topic. This is not a topic that people like to think about, a topic that people like to discuss. Um, and most, most times pastors will never talk about hell or even mention the word hell, let alone have a whole sermon on hell. But it's very important for us as believers to understand this. And it's not for shock value. It's not so that we can think about uh, you know, how fortunate we are that we get to go to heaven. That's not the point of it at all. But we need to accept the horror of hell to give us that impetus for evangelism. If we understand hell and we believe it to be true, we should not want anyone to go to this place. We should not want anyone to be separate from God forever. We should have that desire to go and tell them there is a better place. And it's not just, hey, let's fix your life now and make you happy and healthy and rich. It's you're the reality is you are going to a very real place called hell that is not pleasant at all, and I don't want you to go there. And so out of concern for our fellow man, we should, we should want to tell them and want to teach them. This should spur us forward in telling others about Christ. Because we accept the word of God, we accept the teachings of Jesus, we have no choice but to accept the reality of hell. And it may be uncomfortable, and it may be hard, and we may not like to think about it, but if we care for those around us, we care for those friends and family and the, the people that we pray about on Sunday mornings that need to know the Lord, we've got to understand that hell is real. Otherwise, if hell's not real, who cares? We all end up in heaven one day, what's the point? You know, those, those false teachers that would teach that, that we all end up in heaven, well, so what then? What's the point of missionaries? What's the point of evangelism? What's the, what's the point of anything? Do whatever you want, who cares? Because we all end up there one day. Anyway, but we know that's not true. The Bible makes it very clear that without Christ, we are all destined to hell. <clears throat> well, let's, uh, let's close the time here with a word of prayer. We're going to go into communion here shortly, so I don't want to keep uh, going on here. So let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for what you teach us and tell us in your word. And sometimes what you tell us in your word is difficult for us to accept and difficult for us to understand, or at the very least, uncomfortable for us. But Lord, we know that rather something is uncomfortable or not, if it's true, it's true. And Lord, you taught us a lot about hell in your word. You taught us a lot about the reality of hell and what it is and what awaits those who reject you. And Lord, fill us with the zeal that is necessary to tell others about you so they can avoid going to this awful place. For while there is life, there is hope. And help us to continue to pray for and minister to and talk to and impress upon those that don't know you to avoid the horror of hell, and they can go into the glory of your presence one day. In your name we pray. Amen.